0: Thank you Carla. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to that passage if you're not already there. And this this precious precious text that really as we as we go on over the next couple of weeks we'll get to the heart here of what Paul's message is to the the believers here in Philippi. The the core of what he wants to say as he comes to comes to this place and, and draws our attention to a, a, a spirit of unity that can be found only through Jesus Christ as he emulates it in his life and then equips us in him to live that life. I don't know how many, um, how many antique roadshow fans we have out here but i, I don 't care how what your age there's no there 's no age limit to that show. You can be ninety or you can be nine i mean when my, when we 're watching that and my eleven year old walks in the room he 's like, "Oh, can I watch this for a while and there 's something about that show that 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 sucks you in, and I, I really haven 't figured it out exactly, but I think it could be just this this anticipation that we might get to see somebody who brings something in who has absolutely no clue of the value of this, this heirloom or this garage sale find or this attic find, that all of a sudden they're, they're com- their world is turned upside down because of this painting that they bought for 20 bucks and they find is worth a quarter of a million dollars. And, and, and all of a sudden uh, you're just like, you're cheering with them uh, because there's there's something about that that unexpected encounter with with something that is valuable something that is precious that that you had no idea that it was it was going to be so so amazing so valuable so life changing and, and as we come to the text today here in in Philippians chapter 2 we, we encounter something of the same scenario where we find in God's Word, this this, this this beautiful work that Jesus Christ has done, and and because of it, our whole world is, is changed, and it's turned upside down. I had intended to preach on uh, the first four verses of chapter 2 this, this morning, but I confess uh, I, I could not get past verse 1. And so we're not even going to get to the main verb in this run-on sentence. It's verses 1 through 4 are all one sentence in the original Greek. And we're not even going to get to the main verb. We're going to just, just look at, at what Paul is saying is the foundation for believers to walk in unity and to walk in humility. And so that's that's the title of our message today is the foundation of unity. And and the Apostle Paul begins this this verse begins this passage with the word if, or there, depending on your transfor, your translation. It says therefore if, and that word if, as we read this verse, let me just read it and then then we'll we'll see what uh, what he's getting at here. He says if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. Okay, because you, you can see we haven't even gotten to the, the verb of the sentence yet. And he says, if, 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 if. He has four ifs. Well, you know, sometimes we use the word if as like a, a, a sort of a, the, the scenario is unlikely or we're not certain about the outcome. Um, you know, if, if the lions win today, then, or, or whatever. Like we're not, we're not really sure what's going what's to transpire. Well, that's not how Paul's using the word if here. He's not questioning whether there is these four things. Encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy. He's not questioning those things. The, the, in, the, in the original Greek here, Paul is not assuming doubt. He assumes the condition is true. In fact, your translations could, could better be rendered since. There is encouragement in Christ. Or since there is, or if as indeed the case, there is encouragement in Christ. Does that make sense? Paul's saying these things are true, and because of these things being true, then his exhortation in verses two through four are gonna springboard off these things. But we just want to look at these four truths that, that Paul is going to use as the foundation of. Of what he wants to say about unity. We I, I just, as I was studying this week, I couldn't get past how beautiful these four truths are that provide the foundation for us walking together. That I thought, let's let's not even move on to the exhortation before we before we fully lay this foundation. Now notice. That, that word therefore is there at the beginning of the verse, or in, in, in my translation here, it's, it's translated then. So he's basing what he's saying upon what he has just said in chapter one, and he's just been talking about about the strength that we have in Christ to uh, to to be able to suffer faithfully with Jesus, and so he's telling us how to do that well. And he says, "Listen now, because." We can do that in the strength that Christ provides, because we can walk through hardship. Then, uh, th- therefore, there is these things, and especially, especially as He is going to talk about unity, we need to be grounded in these four truths. And so, if you if you're taking notes, the first one and my uh, my connection here that was working has is, is stopped working. So, if you guys don't mind grabbing the slides for me, I'd appreciate it. The first one is is that that we have encouragement from our union with Christ. We have encouragement from our union with Christ. If there is any encouragement in Christ, or I like how the, the NIV translates it, encouragement from being united with Christ. The believers there have been struggling on behalf of Christ and in the midst of their struggle, and in seeing Paul struggle and seeing Paul go through hardship, Paul is now bringing along the encouragement they need in Jesus Christ to face their own hardship and to be able to walk in loving unity with one another. This word encouragement is a common word in the New Testament, it's the word paraklesos. The 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 holy the holy spirit is sometimes called the the encourager the comforter using this this same greek word it's the act of emboldening another in their course of action and in their beliefs it's it's being a cheerleader it's being spurred on our fifteen year old has been uh, running running cross country this season and it's and it's i that was a world that i had never been into i'd never been to a cross country meet in my life until we had a son that that wanted to run cross country and it's 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 awesome watching the fans line the track and screaming like crazy coaches running along with their athletes you know you're at you're at this pace keep going keep going keep going that encouragement that 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 call to spur someone on to, to further endurance. And Paul says, we have encouragement that spurring on, and he says it comes from our union with Christ. If there is any encouragement from being in Christ. Now I'm going to stop here. In fact, we're going to spend most of our time today on, on 1, so don't get disconcerted about the amount of time we spend here thinking that maybe we're going to be here for a couple hours. We're going to spend most of our time here because union with Christ is that beautiful. And, and if, if the doctrine of union with Christ is unfamiliar to you, I take the blame for that. I don't think we talk about it enough. I know I don't preach about it enough. But it's all over the scriptures, especially the New Testament, and especially the Apostle Paul in John's writings. Paul, one scholar has found 216 times where Paul refers to our union with Christ, that is, us being in Christ. John, some 26 times. It's all over the New Testament. It's impossible to understate the beauty or to, to overstate the beauty of this doctrine. It's absolutely impossible to overstate the significance of the beauty and glory of the believer's union with Christ. Cyril of Alexandria, one of the church fathers, said hundreds of years ago, Indeed, the mystery of Christ runs the risk of being disbelieved because, precisely because it is so incredibly wonderful. John Murray has written Union with Christ... Is really the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation, not only in its application, but also in its once for all accomplishment in the finished work of Christ. So, if it's so beautiful, then what is it? If it's so uh, central to our faith, if it's so central to our salvation, what does it mean that Christians are in Christ or have been united with Christ? I'm going I'm to read to you a, a definition, and if the, if the definition doesn't sink in and move your hearts, don't worry, we're going to try to illustrate this a little bit too. Constantine Campbell, who wrote an excellent book on union with Christ, says this, A believer is united to Christ at the moment of their coming to faith. Their union is established by the indwelling Spirit. The person united to Christ therefore enters into participation with Christ in his death, resurrection, ascension, and glorification. As a participant in Christ's death and resurrection, the believer dies to the world and is identified with the realm of Christ. And as a member of the realm of Christ, the believer is incorporated into his body, since union with Christ entails union with his members. Okay, what does that mean? The Bible teaches that that the moment we believed, we were identified with Jesus Christ in His death, His burial, and resurrection. In fact, would, would, would you guys skip ahead to um, Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5? He says this, therefore, we were buried with Him by baptism into His death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Again, what is he talking about here? This is, this is, not a, this is, a, this is an abstract theological doctrine here, but it has incredible, incredible implications for our walk with Jesus. In God's eyes... When Jesus went to the cross, he saw us as joining him on the cross. Those who would believe in him died with Christ. The Bible says the moment we believe, this becomes true of us. We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We were raised again with Christ. And we've been glorified. That is, we've been ascended with Christ. How in the world does that happen? We're all sitting right here. None of us felt nails in our hands. None of, us, none of us went six feet under, literally. We've not been taken up into the heavenlies. But the Bible says in God's eyes, we have. We have experienced all those things. And it has incredible implications for the Christian life. For example, if you go on and keep reading in Romans 6, it, t- it talks about how we should deal with sin right now. Because we've experienced this process with Christ, because we participate with Him, we're dead to sin now. We shouldn't, have, we shouldn't want to choose sin anymore. That's, that's not a part of our life anymore. It has incredible implications. But, but do you, do you, do you hear the, the staggering claim that he's making? Would you guys skip back one slide to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4? Listen to what Peter says here. If, you, if you're a Bible underliner, I want to encourage you to go to this passage, circle, underline, highlight, star, whatever you got to do, because this is incredible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. God's divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Okay, that statement right there is a sermon by itself. That's a beautiful statement. None of us are missing out this morning. None of you got like half of God's effort when it came to salvation. You know, you know when you go to a restaurant sometimes, uh, maybe especially like maybe if you're a fast food restaurant, and your your meal is being hastily prepared and you've eaten there before and you sort of know what you expect and you order that particular burger that you expect and you get it back and it's like they they forgot some of the ingredients. Or maybe you ordered a Big Mac and there's only there's only one patty on there. And you're like, this is disappointing. Or maybe you're in a new place and you look at the menu and you look at the picture. You're like, I want that. And then what they set before you is nothing like what was in the picture. We've all had that experience, that disappointment of getting some half-hearted effort when it comes to our food. And it's just discouraging. Well, when it comes to our salvation, there's been no half-hearted effort on God's behalf. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And he says, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So verse 3 is beautiful by itself. But look at verse 4. By these, that is his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Again, another sermon in that line. So that through them you may share in the divine nature. Do you hear that? if if what it sounds like he's saying if if you think what he's saying is what it is what he's saying he says that because of Jesus Christ that through faith we enter into the very life of God now i i wish that i could explain and and answer all questions surrounding this statement I know that it doesn't mean, we we don't don't become gods. We're not equal with the Trinity. I know that. But in some mysterious way, when we trust Christ, God envelops us into his life. God folds us into the very life of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And I don't understand this. I I mean, I I could illustrate it this way. Uh, There's a piece of candy here. And and I could take this candy and, and, and cover it up. And, and, and that candy is still there. And that candy is still that candy. It doesn't stop being this piece of candy. But it's, it's been enfolded into my hands here. We, we, we hear Jesus talking in John 10 about uh, that he holds us in his hands. But this, is, this takes it even a step further. And, and, and he says, listen, I, I've got you enveloped. Or, or maybe to think about it another way. Uh, for those of you who, who like to swim, I mean, just imagine uh, jumping into the deep end of the pool, and especially, especially on a hot, hot, humid day. Can you remember that as a kid? You're just dying for your parents to take you to the swimming pool. And, 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 and your first jump into that water is so refreshing, so wonderful to get out of the heat. And, and, the, and, you, and you sink down into that, into that water, and you just, it just rushes around you, and it covers you all the way up. That's a little bit about what we're talking about here. You've, you've been enveloped by Jesus Christ. He says, you are now, Paul says, you are now in him. Another thing that came to mind this week is I was thinking about how to explain this or how to take such an abstract, and really what it is, it, it's, it's a mystical doctrine. And, and to make it, put it in concrete terms, I was reminded of our, our second-born, uh, for a few years in a row at Christmas time, he would always ask for. He loves these oversized, super soft blankets. These, these just um, you know what I'm talking about. They're just they're just like a like a queen size or king size blanket, and uh, just just super soft to the touch. And a lot of times he would come down in the morning, and he just had that thing on him. I have no idea if he was even dressed underneath the thing, but he would just wear it around all morning, uh, just enveloped in this oversized blanket. It just, it just consumed him. That, that's, that's what we're, we're talking about here. God is, 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 is not just, in our salvation, so often we look at salvation like this, that it's a transaction. And we say, hey God, I'm going to give you my faith. I'm, I'm going to believe. And God says, thank you, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to hand you this gift of salvation. And, and, it's, and it's just like going to the store and, and you give them your money and they give you the, the thing you just bought and you walk away and there was this transaction and we know that it's, we call it a free gift and so we know that, that our faith was, was nothing, it wasn't any works, it was just small and that what we got in return was a significant deal. Like we got grace, we got the better end of the deal. But so often we look at our salvation as a transaction and Paul says, no, 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 no. Yes, salvation is a gift, but it's way more than that. It's you being invited into the very life of God. I don't know how to how to fully wrap my mind around this and to fully explain it, but I do know that this makes a difference in our everyday life. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I think we've got that on the slide here, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, in the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One of the ways that this is immensely practical, and we could we could talk about this into the afternoon, but one of the ways that this is immensely practical is that now the life of Jesus Christ comes through me as I continue to trust him and live in this union. The... In the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks about it as abiding. Marcus, our brother Marcus, shared about that a few weeks back. If you didn't get a chance to hear that message, make sure you go back and listen to that recording. Because that's what he's getting at here, is that abiding is living out of this union. Abiding is living out of this attachment that we now have. Being engrafted into the very life of Christ, when we abide in Him, when we rest in what Jesus has done for us, when we live in His finished work on our behalf, and we live there by faith, His life comes out. When you start to see this, you begin to see things from the New Testament just jump out. Like all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit, you're like, oh yeah, it's the fruit of the Spirit because it's His life being lived out through me. That makes sense. We're called to live in light of this glorious reality. I wish, I wish we had, wish we could say more about this. But Paul says, Paul says that there is encouragement in this. If there's any encouragement in Christ, there is. And I'll just share briefly. First of all, one of the reasons that this is encouraging, at least to me is that God could not bring you any closer to Himself than He already has. God does not just want to be in the general vicinity of you. Like, in the same ballpark. I I, I once had a chance to, when at least I were first married, I, I think I've told this story, but we we were living in Pennsylvania, going to school at the time, and we're both big baseball fans, and we found out that, oh my goodness, we live right near Williamsport, Pennsylvania right now, and the Little League World Series is just down the road from where we're living. We got to go to the Little League World Series. We got to go check that out this year. So we went, and we found out the day before that we were going to go to the game that George W. Bush... Uh, was going to be at the game. This was 2001. In fact, this was late August of 2001, and um, I got a chance to be in the same ballpark as the president of the United States. It was so cool. I didn't meet the president. I didn't. I can't say that George and I are friends. I don't have any any real relationship with George whatsoever other than we were in the same vicinity. I I could see him. Somebody who was with us brought binoculars and I could look and I could see him there behind home plate way, way up there. That's not what God is interested in. He's not just interested in being at the same ballpark as you. He could not have possibly brought you any closer to his very being. This morning... I want you to know that if you feel distant from God, it's not God. He is welcoming, He he has welcomed, He has beckoned you close, and He longs for that intimacy that He has already accomplished through Jesus Christ upon the cross. He has brought you into His very life. This means that as we come to Him in prayer, we're not shouting up into the heavens. We're talking to a friend who is closer than we could ever imagine. And there will be never any point in your walk with Christ that when you walk into the room where where Jesus is going to be disappointed to see you. He's never downcast. He delights in being near to you. He gave his life so that he could bring you into his There is no part of God who groans when he sees you come into his presence. Who rolls his eyes. God delights in the nearness of his children. He could have made salvation the transactional thing. Here you get eternal life, we'll see you on the other side. Thanks for your faith, we're good. He could have done that. But he said, no, 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 I want more than that. I want to bring you into my, into my very life. This also means that you and I are never alone. We never have to walk alone. We said this just recently, but it, it, we, we have to be reminded of this. The enemy loves to get the sheep alone because that's, that's when the wolf can, can be the most successful. The enemy loves for us to believe that we are alone, that we're the only ones wrestling with this, that we're the only ones who feel this way, and that God certainly couldn't understand, that believers certainly don't understand, that nobody cares, nobody's there. He wants all of those thoughts to to make their home in our minds and hearts. He delights in that. And God says, no, that is not the truth. You are never alone. That's why he can say with such confidence and and power, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you know why that's so powerful? He says, because I've brought you into my very life. I've attached you to myself. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you because I have brought you in and, and you've become partakers of the divine nature. This also means, this is encouraging because eternal life takes on an entirely new dimension. Again, eternal life is not just something God has handed to us. It's not a golden ticket that we cash in when we die. This is why John has so much to say about life. When, the God, when you read the Gospel of John, don't hear John saying that eternal life is that thing that's been handed to you. Read the Gospel of John saying, Eternal life is yours because you've been attached to, to, to God Himself. You've become a partaker of the very eternal life of God. God has eternally bound Himself to you through Jesus Christ of His own free will. Isn't that crazy? This is all His choice. That no matter what you do today, no matter how bad your day is, no matter how much you screw up this week... The goddess says, you're part of my life and that was my decision. I want you here. There's nothing you're going to do today that will surprise him or make him regret that decision. You can see why I didn't want to go past verse one. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is anything, and he says, yes, there is encouragement in Christ. I'm just going to hit these next three briefly because I want us to have a little time to pray at the end. The second one says we have found solace in the love of of Jesus. We have found solace in the love of Jesus. That second phrase, any consolation of love. We have have this solace afforded by the love of Christ. We've been enveloped in the sphere of Trinitarian affection and this comfort of the love of God gets us through this this word, this word comfort is a beautiful, a beautiful word that reminds us again of, of God's presence, of God's nearness, and, 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 and the courage that our hearts can take because of the immense love that God has shed abroad in our hearts. In fact, Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God longs to pour His love into your heart today. What, what, in what way do you need to be reminded of God's immense love for you? What, way, what ways do your hearts need to be consoled and strengthened by the love of God today? We have found solace in the love of Jesus. Thirdly, He says that we have the Holy Spirit's fellowship. Fellowship, with the Spirit, this is another beautiful phrase that's, that 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 has far more depth to it than what originally or what 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 we immediately see. That word fellowship is that word koinonia. We talked about it back in chapter one, verse five. We'll see it again later on. Fellowship is an important word because it's it's it's, and again, it's a word that's. It's almost untranslatable. In fact, I was reading something on it this week that the the person, uh, the scholar said, uh, she said, we shouldn't even try to translate it. We should just bring it over from the Greek. We should start using the word koinonia instead of fellowship, or it can be like a a mutual sharing. it's, 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 It's far deeper than what we can really, we have any one English word of expressing. It's, it's this coming together and, and receiving from one another and sharing with one another. It's a mutual give and take, and, and especially as it applies to the body of Christ. But here he says we have this sharing with the Holy Spirit, this, this, the, the lifeblood of God, this, this connection. The Holy Spirit is, is the connecting point between us and the Trinity. He is the one that enables this in-Christness to happen. And we have this beautiful communion with the Spirit of God. This is why prayer is so important. This is why getting alone with God and, and just, just that quietness and meditating on the Word of God, meditating on truth is so important because we get to experience this fellowship with the Holy Spirit in those moments. If you and I are too busy, we're constantly moving, constantly checking our phone, too long, too, too preoccupied to sit and linger before God, we're never going to experience this beautiful fellowship with the Spirit. But if you'll discipline yourself and just start with five minutes of absolute silence with just a phrase or a verse of Scripture, just something small, and pray that before God. God, what are you saying to me through this phrase? What are you saying to me through this truth? You you get a chance to to open up your experience of the the fellowship with the Spirit. Number four, we have the outrageous compassion of God. We have the outrageous compassion of God. He says, if any affection and mercy, since you have God's affection and mercy, and I I think this is sort of a summary phrase of the first three, that word affection is that, favorite Greek word of mine, splachnon, it means that means that guts, that inner being. We have, we have the tender compassions of God being poured out towards us. As we close this morning, I just, I want you to know today that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the triune God, is, is infinitely and eternally on your side. They are for you, Romans 8.31. God is for us. They, they, they are welcoming you. They are beckoning you. Uh, uh, Romans 15.7 says that, that, that Jesus has welcomed us. He's flung open the doors. And he doesn't just say, come into my house. But he said, come, be part of my very life. The New Testament gives more pictures of this this union with Christ. He talks about the body. He talks about, in in Ephesians chapter 5, you can read about marriage being a picture of our union with Christ. He talks about uh, the temple. He has several illustrations to try to help us grasp the beauty of God's invitation in bringing us to participate in His very life. My brothers and sisters, no matter what you are going through, there is encouragement in knowing that God longs for you to linger in that presence that he has achieved through the blood of Jesus Christ. He longs for you to be there. He longs for intimacy. This is why scripture says things like pray without ceasing. That's what he's talking about is is having this this in, living in the enjoyment of this connection. He says Spiritually speaking, this is true. You have been united with Jesus through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Now, practically live that out by living in that closeness. I've noticed that as my kids get older, they have varying desires of wanting to be physically present with their parents. You've know, got you to kind of go through that phase of like you're embarrassed with seeing your parents and you don't want to hear them say I love you as they drop you off, which is, is, is a heartbreaking thing as a parent, right? Um, but, uh, you know, you, you we all experience those times of, of, as a parent where it just, when, when that toddler scoots a little closer when you're sitting there watching TV together, They lay their head on your lap. When they unexpectedly put their arms around you. That surprise hug. And it warms your heart. You got got something going on in your heart if that doesn't move you. And I want you to know that that's, that's the relationship that you and I, through Jesus, have with God. He has already wrapped His arms around us. And He longs for us moment by moment, day by day, to return the embrace. He's brought us into His very life of love. And as we'll see next week, He's done so, so that His love can course through us toward one another, that we can walk in humility and unity together. As we close here, I want to just invite you to have a a few moments of of quiet prayer with the Lord. If you're taking notes, if you've been taking notes, I want to encourage you to keep your pen out and just jot down what what comes to your mind here as as we just have a few moments of quiet reflection. We've talked about union with Christ. But what specific encouragement is God? opening your heart to today that He longs for you to experience because He has brought you into His life? Why don't you just take a few moments. Maybe it's, maybe it's that reminder that I'm, I'm never alone and I've felt very alone. Maybe it's, maybe it's, that, maybe it's that reminder that, that God says, I want you. I chose you, and you are wanted. Some of you, some of us here today, would have an extremely hard time saying that that out loud, wouldn't we? I am wanted. I am treasured. For some of us, we've believed lies. That have said otherwise. We've believed that we're unwanted, that we're unwelcome, that we're unworthy. But you see, in Christ, because of what He's accomplished, not because of anything we've done, but because of what, he, what He's accomplished, He said, you are welcome into my life. It doesn't get any higher than that. As we pray here, maybe, maybe part of you expressing to God the encouragement and comfort you get from these these truths. Maybe part of that is expressing that, God, I've been believing a lie, or I struggle with this. Be honest with him. If this is hard for you to hear, be honest with him. I want to just give you time now to talk to him. Use your pen if that helps. Write out your prayer and then if, you, if you'd like somebody to pray with you, there'll be a few of us up here who would, who would love to pray. But after we've had just some time to quietly talk to God, I'll, I'll close this in prayer and share the benediction. pray, I just want to remind you that you can feel free to linger here as long as, as, long as you need. If you want to spend the next hour with Jesus here, you're, you're more than welcome to. Father, we confess that we don't grasp what it, what it means to be partakers of the divine nature, to be enfolded into your very loving life. To be caught up in the stream of your love, be enveloped. I pray, God, that we would we would grasp at least even just a fraction of the significance of this precious doctrine of union with Christ. It would give us confidence knowing that we have your very life and power flowing through us and that it would encourage and bring comfort to hearts today for those who have felt defeated by sin. May they be encouraged knowing that you have not rejected them, you have not turned away from them and that they've been equipped with everything that that you have to offer to be able to defeat the sin, to flee from temptation. Father, for those who feel alone today, may they, in a special and a powerful way, understand the nearness that they get to enjoy because of union with Christ. God, for those who have heard messages of shame their whole lives, that they they don't that they're not worthy that they're they're not significant they're not loved they're not treasured whether we've bought these hook line and sinker or whether those those messages crop up from time to time and weigh us down god i pray that these abiding truths the realities Promises, the declarations of Almighty God would, 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 would be so overpowering that, that, that those messages would get drowned out, that our spiritual ears would no longer be able to hear those lies, because the voice of love has become so prominent in our hearts. Teach us what it means to slow down and linger over these promises so that we might enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit, so that we might walk in the enjoyment of what Jesus has already done. Now draw our hearts near to yourself. Now the God whose affection never cools, whose attention never wavers, whose arm never relaxes and whose grace never fails, rescue you from every evil attack, and bring you safely to his heavenly kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless as you go forth.